Right, this is the first podcast for our Chrome design page. I will go through some of the most common anatomical features that I look for. When we look at the lips, the vermilion border, one of the indications of looking at it is if the patient already has a denture. Okay, and when a denture, if you think, provides insufficient lip support, what you would really see is the vermilion border becomes narrow or disappears adversely affecting appearance. For example, when the teeth are set too far uh, palately. The next feature is the philtrum. If the denture teeth are set too far facially, the maxillary lip is stretched so that the depression of the philtrum is lost. This looks quite unnatural. The nasolabial angle. The angle measured between the columella of the nose and the philtrum of the lip normally approximately 90% as viewed in profile, 90 degrees actually. Now, if you look at the tissue of the upper lip, this is a little bit of an exercise. Gather the loose tissue of the upper lip between your thumb and index finger, so you have some idea of the tension of the tissue or support of the lip on a dentate individual. If the denture is too full, no tissue can be gathered without struggling. If there is insufficient denture support, a large portion of the lip can be gathered. The cheeks. Uh, the main muscle of the cheeks, as you know, is the masseter muscle. If you ask the patient to clench and you palpate this muscle externally and internally, you need to see what happens internally when the muscles are active, what aspect of a denture base will be affected by this structure, Will this muscle be active when you make an open mouth impression? How will you record its contours for your denture base? Who has the most pronounced masseter in your group? That is, if you have a couple of people with you and you want to uh, test each other's masseteric activity, that is a good way of finding out um, the varying activity of this muscle. Then you look at the residual uh, ridges. If the ridges are severely resolved, inform the patient very clearly so they know denture fabrication and the tension will be quite difficult. Then you look at the vestibules. If the vestibules are short, inform the patient so they know denture fabrication and retention will be difficult as well. This part is very important. You have to get this through to the patient in a very early stage of your planning itself. Otherwise, if you don't, it will become an excuse at the end rather than a reason at the beginning. When we look at the edentulous maxilla or the partially dentate maxilla, the maxillary tuberosities, um, you have to uh, look at whether they are oversized, if they are severely resorbed or if they are severely undercut. So this all influences where you uh, place the posterior margin of your denture. The incisive papilla. This is a very important landmark for setting of the teeth. Ideally, according to various textbooks, the uh, incisors should be set around 10 millimeters anterior, that is, a midline of the papilla to the label of the incisor should be around 10 millimeters. Okay. Then the hamular notch, the posterior border of a complete denture and some partial dentures must pass through this notch 
between the bony tuberosity and the hamulus. Denture border must terminate on soft displaceable tissue to provide comfort and retention. In some patients, the notch is posterior to where the depression in the soft tissue appears. Posterior border of the heart palate. So this is another important landmark. Your post dam area should be at the junction of the soft and hard palates. If you don't get that right, either the movement of the vibrating line will move your denture up and down and displace it, or you will never get a seal. This is not exactly true for chromes because the retention is coming from the teeth, but positioning the posterior border is still important. Um, then the mandible. If you look at the retromolar pad, a pear-shaped pad, you have to identify the size of the pad, you have to see how firm it is, how well it is flabby, anything like that. Okay. And the buckle shelf, this is really important. That is the primary uh, denture bearing area of the mandible. Again for a chrome, it is not as much relevant but if you are looking at a um, posterior saddle, this is still as important as a full denture. The anterior border of the ramus. You really do not want to extend your dentures posterior to this uh, uh, structure or discomfort will uh, result. The external oblique ridge. Do not extend dentures laterally from the buccal shelf onto this structure. For obvious reasons, it is very uncomfortable. The mylohyoid ridge. This is the mylohyoid muscle attachment. It is the largest muscle in the floor of the mouth which influence the length of the flange of the lingual flange of a denture. This can be quite prominent and sometimes sharp, requiring relief in the final denture, particularly towards the posterior. And you have to check for any tori, just to make sure that it's not going to interfere with your dental, uh, your denture margins. And the frena, different frenums have to be allowed for as well. Um, the pterygomandibular raphe. This connects from the hamulus to the mylohyoid bridge. It's not always significant, but when prominent, it can cause pain or loosening of the denture, requiring a relief groove by the hamular notch. The retrosigomal fossae, or the palpate, the zygomatic process in the buccal vestibule, just buccal to the first maxillary molar. The vestibular space posteriorly is retrosigomal fossae. It is commonly incompletely captured in preliminary impressions without a syringe technique. This leads to a short flange and a non-retentive denture. The syringe technique means you deliver your impression material right to the back um, using any sort of delivering syringe. The coronoid process. This is another one when you have to make sure that when you're recording the impressions, you do the full range of motions of the mandible, anterior, posterior, and lateral excursions. If you don't, this is going to be an interfering feature. So that concludes the basic anatomy that you would look for when you are uh, doing your preliminary examination of the patient. Let us see how this uh, podcast sounds like. If you like, we can make more uh, podcasts. The next bit of anatomy is the masseter muscle. 
Um, the best way to look at the activity of this muscle is ask the patient to clench and then looks and uh, see what happens internally when the muscles are active. What aspect of a denture base will be affected by this structure if you look at the extension of your uh, flange and uh, think whether this muscle will be active when you make an open mouth impression and how will you allow for that. How will you record its contours for your denture base? And if you have a group of friends or um, other people with you, check and see who uh, has got the uh, most mesetric activity. Um, because each of the patients will have different levels of activity and strength and will all affect your impressions and the subsequent denture. Then intraorally you look at the residual ridges and if the ridges are resolved inform the patient straight away so that they know denture fabrication and retention will be difficult. Then the vestibules. Again if the vestibules are short inform the patient so they know the fabrication and retention will be quite difficult as well. On the upper jaw the maxillary tuberosities makes a big role in getting the margins and flanges of your denture sitting in a more comfortable banner. This is not always true for chromes because they are mostly supported by the teeth. But um, it's true for um, complete dentures and um, any partial dentures that you have to um, extend towards the tuberosity. Then the incisive papilla, this is an important anatomical landmark for the accurate positioning of your incisors. An arbitrary um, measurement is from the midline of the papilla, it's about 10 millimeters anterior to the labial surface of the incisor. So that is a ballpark figure which you can use to uh, set your incisors. Obviously, the resorption and other changes of age will change this number, but overall, that is an arbitrary figure that you can aim for. The hamular notch. The posterior border of a complete denture, and some partial dentures must pass through this notch between the bony tuberosity and the hamulus. The border must terminate on the soft, displaceable tissue to provide comfort and retention. In some patients, this notch is posterior to where the depression is in the soft tissue. So you have to be careful where you position your posterior flange. The posterior border of the heart palate and the post dam. This is an important area. If you don't position your posterior border in the right place, when the vibrating line moves, the denture will be displaced. If it is too far forward, then you won't get the seal. Now, then um, the median palatine raphane, middle pal no, midline palatine suture. This is not always relevant, but in some patients, you have this quite prominent. So if you are actually going to design a chrome with the rigid metal connector, um, major connector, uh, for cross arch across the palate, you have to allow for that. You might have to use a windowed um, palatal connector or um, do an anterior or posterior connectors or a mid-palatal strap so you have to give relief to this structure. Coming down to the mandible, the retromolar pad. This also is um, very important when you have to do um, 
the correct extension of the um, denture uh, posterior border. It has to cover the posterior border, has to cover the retromolar pad completely to get the maximum retention and comfort. The buckle shelf, as you know, this is one of the major load-bearing areas in the mandible and the flange has to extend sufficiently to get the best support. The anterior border of the ramus. You should not exceed or extend the dentures posterior to the um, retromolar pad towards the anterior border of the ramus. Otherwise, there will be significant discomfort. The external oblique ridge. And again, do not extend dentures laterally from the buccal shelf onto this structure. The mylohyoid bridge. This is the origin of the mylohyoid muscle. Largest muscle in the floor of the mouth, which influences the length of the flange of the lingual flange of a denture. This can be quite prominent, sometimes even sharp, requiring relief in the final denture, particularly towards the posterior. And you have to rule out uh, tori. And then enough um, relief should be provided for the various frena in the mouth as well. So, um, so this interference will be uh, reduced. The pterygomandibular raphe. This connects from the hamulus to the malohyoid bridge. It's not always significant, but when it is really prominent, it can cause pain or loosening of the dentures as the patient moves the jaw. Then you might need a relief groove by the hamular notch to allow for the raphe. The retrosigomal fossae. It is more like a space rather than a fossae. Um, the vestibular space posteriorly is the retrosigomal fossae. It is commonly incompletely captured in a preliminary impression without a syringe technique. This can lead to a short flange and a non-retentive denture. So you have to use a syringe to deliver the impression material right up top. The coronoid process is again uh, a structure which moves and especially on opening wide. So your um, impression should be very well molded all around the various structures and opening wide, asking the patient to open wide and close is an important part to get the exact position of the structure. This concludes the basic anatomy that I look for.